We have had three weeks of emphasis on character. Pastor Van gave two messages on Matthew 15, describing the Pharisees' ability to circumvent God's law by pronouncing Corban on their money. And Jesus emphasized the fact that character trumps food. What goes into your mouth is not what's going to defile you, it's what comes out. And food going into your mouth cannot defile character. Character trumps food. Last week, Steve Scheibner emphasized the pillars of character health. Elevating virtue above feelings, training to be a servant of others, some of those other kinds of things. He talked about the easy choices with difficult results and the difficult choices with easy results. I've spent my time this week in Proverbs chapter 5, which is a case study of the importance of character. Character in one area. Solomon in the, in the entire book of Proverbs equates wisdom with discipline. Wisdom with being able to control yourself, being able to make wise choices when you're out on the road. And he states in Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. In other words, whatever you do in the city, meaning in your life, is greatly affected by the walls of discipline that you have put up around your life. If they're non-existent, if your discipline is non-existent, that greatly affects what happens inside. Chances are good you will be invaded. You will be wiped away by a storm or an enemy. So who would want to live in a city without walls? That's kind of ridiculous. Why not get the walls fixed first before you attempt to build anything valuable in the city? In other words, when you ignore your own personal discipline, your own self-control, you're sliding to ruin no matter what else you're doing. Proverbs 5 talks about the importance of character when dealing with our desire for sex. Solomon gives us a glimpse of contemporary interactions surrounding our sexual desires and their effects, meaning how those desires bring the walls down. So let me divide this chapter. I'd, I'd like to read the whole chapter of Proverbs 5. Let me divide it into the three sections and view each section as a choice. Each of these sections is introducing us to a choice that affects the walls the discipline in our lives. Uh, so you've got the easier choice, number one. You've got the mindless choice, number two. And you've got the sensual choice, number three. So first off, 
Solomon says it's the easier choice that sets us on the road to death. It's the easier choice that sets us on the road to death. Here are the first three verses. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your, no- your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Solomon is emphasizing in this section that life needs guardrails. The question he's asking is, are you going to keep discretion? Are you going to guard knowledge? Why would we have to keep discretion and guard knowledge as if to protect it from something that's trying to attack it? Who are we protecting it from? You're protecting it from yourself. You're protecting it from your desires. You're protecting it from competing ideas that want you to ignore it. You're protecting it from choices that drip honey, that are smoother than oil. And the temptation is to take the easier road. What is it that's easier to start with and harder later on? As Dr. Scheibner talked about last week. What's easier to start with and harder later on? Well, lying is easy to get into. I imagine some of you have practiced that, as I have. And once you lie, it's easier to lie the next time and the next time. And then after a while, it's hard to get to the truth, to admit the truth. It's hard even to get yourself to think it straight after you've lied to yourself for years. Anger is easier. Stealing is easier. Gossip is easier. All of these things are easier to start with. Here, the easier choices are in the sexual realm. It's easier to look and lust rather than look and turn away. It's easier to listen to the flattery of a woman or a man whose lips drip with honey. Guarding knowledge means turning away from honey. The easier road is sweet. It's smooth and slippery. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Can't you just see that? Drip honey. She's the sweetest thing you've ever met. So attractive. So smooth. You meet her at Walmart. (laughs) Or at Glory Days. Or on the internet. You know, you can't believe that she is looking at you. She wants you. That's exciting. Yeah, that's the danger. But the common response is, well, everybody's doing it. You know, and you got to do what's good for you. And you only go around once in life, and you got to grab for all the gusto you can get. And the rules that fit your brother may not fit you. So why not get involved in a little playing around? It's an easy way to fulfill your desire. 
Solomon's answer is, you got to understand where all this goes. You have got to understand where all this goes. Sex is a gift from God. He created it for our blessing, but he intends it to be reserved only for marriage. Apart from marriage, those desires can be very damaging. They take over. We either control them or they invade our thoughts, our choices, our lives, and send us down roads we may not want to go down. Warren Wearsby said, God chose, God created sex not only for reproduction, but also for enjoyment. And he didn't put the marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure, but to increase pleasure and to protect it. Here's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Undefiled. That's talking about sex. God wants us to have undefiled sex. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterer, adulterous those practicing defiled sex, meaning sex without marriage. Do you see the point? The point is that sex is not dirty, it's not unholy, it's not indecent, it wasn't dreamed up by Satan. It's God's amazing idea. But it only works when it is protected and locked into a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Anywhere else, everywhere else, it does damage. It falls out of the original purpose of God and leads to suffering and pain and the judgment of God. So if this is true, and it is true, then we need to protect everything that surrounds this beautiful gift. Not only does sex outside of marriage need to be stopped, but everything that leads up to sex in marriage needs to be carefully guarded. Solomon says the dangers are serious. He gives a picture of what happens to those who don't have walls to guard in this area. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Do you see the word bitter? Do you see the word two-edged sword? Death, path to Sheol? Solomon's saying, if you don't control those desires, they will lead you down a path that you don't want to go. They will take you around and around in life. Wander is the word. You will go down dead-end road to another dead-end road, to emptiness, to more emptiness. That's the picture. Illicit sex looks attractive. It's the easier choice, but in the end, it makes you the victim. 
You eat wormwood. You are impaled. You find yourself walking down death road. The adulteress promises life and excitement and delivers death. The problem today is we live in a generation that encourages illicit sex. You can probably go to a lot of high schools today where you will hear this line. It says, yes, it is good not to engage in sex outside marriage unless it's meaningful or unless you use ample protection. That's not a whole lot different than saying to 14-year-olds, now, young people, it's wrong to steal. You must not steal under any circumstances. If you are ever tempted to shoplift, remember, you will likely be caught. Is that perfectly clear? However, if you are determined to become active as a shoplifter, and if that activity proves to be meaningful in your life, we have developed a method that is about 90% safe in protecting you from being caught. So let me show you this video on how to shoplift without being caught. What would happen if some high school teacher did that line, you know? They would not only bring in CPS, they, they probably would ask for his head on a platter or her head on a platter. But what's the difference between that instruction and what you hear today that says, if you decide to become sexually active, here are some relatively safe methods you may want to try. Just as the command against stealing hasn't changed, the command against illicit sex hasn't changed. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, is the same today as it was in Paul's day. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That law is absolutely inflexible. There's no way you can plant tomato seeds and expect grapes. No matter how hard you pray, no matter what else you do, you will always reap what you sow. When you sow to the flesh, meaning you obey your body, you do what the body desires, you will, verse 8, reap corruption. That equates to wormwood in our passage and double-edged sword and death and sheol. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. It's almost like life places us on this ledge where we are close to, so close to a drop-off. And it's like you're trying to walk along this ledge. And so many people go over the edge because of their uncontrolled desire for sex. 
And we live in a generation that says, you know, life really isn't that hard. Just jump over. It's easy to play. Can you imagine this kid in the front saying to his father, let me show you my new dance move. Let me go out there and stand on that rock on the edge, put my foot out and show you my dance move. How do you think the father would respond? He would respond, get away, stay away from that. Don't get near any nearer than you are. That's exactly what Solomon is doing here. That's what Solomon is saying. It's the easier choice that sets us on the road to death. Secondly, Solomon says, it's the mindless choice that leads us to end of life groaning. End of life groaning. This is verses 7 to 14. I'm reading the verses. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Let strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Do you see the mindlessness here? The son wanders from Solomon's words, dilly-dallies around the door of the prostitute's house. He may present the look of innocence, but his mind and will are not engaged in guarding his life. He actually says in verse 12 that he hated discipline, despised reproof, didn't listen to his teachers. So he's sitting around watching, mindlessly surfing the web, hoping to stumble upon something exciting. The first six verses talk about guarding, guarding our minds and our hearts from the easier choice. These eight verses say that we won't do that. We won't guard our minds and hearts until we listen and get serious about the issue. It was Dwight Eisenhower, past president, allied commander, American commander in the European theater back in World War II. He said this, war is a terrible thing, but if you're going to get into it, you've got to get into it all the way. You can't fight a war half-heartedly. You have to go in to win. That is so true in the war against lust. In the war against your sexual desires. You cannot win by being halfway against it. You can't even win by being wholly against it on Sunday. Victory only comes by 100% effort God's way. You got to do it God's way. Or you fall over the edge. 
And what is God's way? God's way is proactive. God's way is proactive, meaning you ought to do something ahead of time. You ought to think in terms of where this is going. You ought to make plans. What are you going to say when you're in the middle of that kind of temptation? How are you going to react? I think this passage gives us two suggestions as to what God's way is. Number one, you make the decision to stay as far away from her as you can. Stay as far away from her as you can. The command is, keep away from her. Don't go near the door. You don't want to get near the thinking process. You don't, you don't want to watch it. You don't want to listen to it. You don't want to be around people who talk about it. The best way to avoid the temptation to sexual immorality is to keep your way far from her. That's a command. It's a Hebrew command. That's not a suggestion. Stay as far away as you can. Don't think you can surf the web and handle whatever pops up. Don't think you can click on that site and stay out of trouble. Don't think you can spend your lunch break in the presence of that overly attractive person and not get bit. Temptation by its nature is so powerfully magnetic that it will jerk you when you don't, when you think you're safely away. The elevator door opens and you may need to choose to walk up the steps because of who's in the elevator. Your job may present you with such temptation that you may need to work different hours. Or maybe change jobs. It's your marriage. It's your family. It's your honor. It's your reputation that are at stake. It's a cliff. It's a long fall. Don't get near the edge. Keep your way far from her. Means guard what you watch, guard what you read, guard what you think. Analyze what's about to enter your mind. What you're dreaming about, where it's going to go. Get your brain in gear when you can think right and make the right decision. Look at the high cost of sexual sin. And then look at the enormous benefit of sexual purity. What's it like to have a clear conscience before God? Of not having to worry about the three big dangers. You know, the three big dangers? Detection, infection, conception. You don't have to worry about those. Once you commit yourself and say, I am going to stay away 100%. I'm not going near the door. Have you ever made that decision? Have you ever said to yourself and to God, I do not want anything to do with that door. I don't want to be near it. Wake me up when this thing is near. Keep me away. Ever said that? 
Are you living in a half-hearted world where you say, yeah, I do want to stay away from it? Uh-huh. Most of the time. So you've got to be proactive. You've got to say ahead of time, you've got to say when your brain is in gear, that's not going to be in my life. Period. You want to set up guardrails to protect you from that. Secondly, under this, uh, Solomon says, you want to make the decision early on to listen, to learn, to obey God's words. This is, starts in verse 7, where Solomon is saying, Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Listen to me. Listen to me. Can't you see Solomon grabbing him by the ears and saying, Listen to me. Listen to me. And then you've got his testimony in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, I did not listen to my teachers did not listen. Why? Because verse 12, my motivation was, I hated discipline. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. All right. And then he said, my heart despised reproof, meaning nobody's going to correct me. What saves a teenager from falling off the cliff? What saves a man from leaving his wife and family for a short skirt somewhere? Listening to God's words. Listening. As they come through friends, as they come through teachers, as they come through pastors or counselors, or reading or memorizing, meditating on God's word. If you don't get the right words, chances are you'll listen to the words at the door. On the street, on the website, you know, boy meets girl. They like each other. They date. They have feelings for each other. The boy wants something more because he loves the girl. The girl is tempted to give in because she fears losing him. He says, let's enjoy a little sex because we love each other so much. Is that love? Is that the wonderful start to living happily ever after? No. A, it's not love. It's lust. He wants an object. Lust. B, it's not love. It's fear on her part. If one of you ladies in this audience is dating a girl, dating a guy, one of you ladies, let me start this one again. If one of you ladies is dating a guy who brings this infamous sentence upon you, I love you so much I can't wait. My advice, my strong advice, Shupi's advice based on many years of watching this thing, dump him immediately. Immediately, You cannot get out of that relationship fast enough. That statement by itself tells you that he has no concept of love. He doesn't understand the word. Once a guy decides he's going to take advantage of a young lady in the name of love, that relationship can only go one direction. Down. It is not 
It will not, it cannot lead to love. Now, one of our problems today, one of our problems today is that there's a gap between the choice and its effect. Verse 11 says, at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed, the beginning was easy. It was filled with honey, oil, smooth talk. The Bible says that sin can bring pleasure. It also states that that pleasure is fleeting, is very short. So what we have in this passage is we have a a list of what happens. Verse 8, the guy disobeys Solomon. He's hanging out at the door. Then you have in verse 9, we get the, the early results. Your labor and honor, time are given to others. Verse 10, we have later results where your strength goes to strangers, your labor to foreigners. And then in verse 11, we get the final ending. Flesh and body consumed, eaten up. Question. How long between verse 8 and verse 11? How many minutes? How many days? How many years? Maybe five years? Maybe 50 years? Nobody knows. But Solomon's point is this. You start in verse 8, you'll get to verse 11. You don't know how long, but you'll get to verse 11. We do the same thing nationally, you know? We don't understand the, the, the serious implications of a move that we make nationally. One year ago this month, Supreme Court legitimized gay marriage. Okay? So what? Well, the significance of that decision is enormous, even though its effects are delayed. It not only says that gay marriage is okay, it changes the definition of marriage to include two members of the same gender, which changes the purpose of marriage. The marriage can't only be for procreation. I mean, are two guys going to have children? Are two girls going to have children? So you've changed the purpose of marriage. It, changed, it says homosexual lifestyle is normal. As normal as non-gay, that's why it's equal rights. It even says more. It suggests that perhaps my statements right now might someday be judged as hate speech. Because I, found, because I read the Bible that the Bible identifies homosexuality as sin. So it says that the Supreme Court of our land can choose to contradict the Bible for our good. For our good. I thought this one picture taken at a gay pride parade, two days, I think it was two days after the Supreme Court decision last year, summed it up. Here's the point. Now, if we've got a gay pride parade that is celebrating the the Supreme Court decision to give equal rights, why bring the Bible into it? Why laugh at the Bible? Because, in effect, that is where the Supreme Court is going. 
2,000 years of definition of marriage in one way, we can ignore that. This appeared on Yahoo a couple of days after, and there was a comment underneath on Yahoo where somebody said, too bad the person wasn't brave enough to wear the Quran. It would by now be filled with bullets, <laughs> bullet holes. But the point is, we can laugh at the Bible. We would not laugh at the Quran. The sad part is that this poor woman is shortly going to stand before the God who wrote the book. But we will, on Monday night and following nights, we'll see the effect of this now as it comes down into Charlestown. You know, the decision that our, that our city council is making on how to treat people with confused gender identities in a public restroom, that comes as an effect of this decision the Supreme Court made. So, choices have their effects, and you can't choose mindlessly. You've got to think in terms of its effect. Solomon says the lasting effect of, of sexual sin is old age pain. Old age is painful already. <clears throat> I'm waiting for amens. I don't hear any. This must be a very young congregation. <clears throat> they say old age is not for wimps because the plumbing does not work as well. The electricity is on and off. Shingles are falling off. You know, windows get blurry. But can you imagine adding to that the pain of a wasted life? Where you sit back there and you're replaying those videos of what you could have done or could have had and threw away. You can't go back and repair it. It's like a robbery at your house. It's gone. And you may have thought you had it, but you wake up 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, and life is gone. So verse 11 says, at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Here's old age for those who don't control their desire for sex. Their flesh and body are consumed, emphasizing their entire being is exhausted. It's the emotional stress. It's the child support. It's the broken home, it's the hurt, it's the jealousy, it's the loneliness, it's a venereal disease, and they're filled with self-recrimination. God wants us to rejoice at the end of our lives. Here this person groans, flesh, worn out, shriveled up, dry, brittle. So we're not talking about suppressing what is good because God has some hang-up over this issue. We're not talking about restricting ourselves from living the good life. We're talking about building walls around our hearts and our minds and our lives to keep the terrorists out who come in smiling, dripping honey, only slight bulges under their coat where the explosives are. So the third main choice 
choice that Solomon emphasizes here is it's the sensual choice that keeps us from finding love. It's the sensual choice. Sensual meaning focusing on the outside, focusing on what I can see and touch and taste and so on. I'm reading verses 15 to 23. <clears throat> Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be, in be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. He ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Do you see the emphasis here on one woman and one man? <clears throat> one woman, one man. Your own cistern. I guess your own brethren also. Your own well, your springs, your streams of water. Solomon's talking about a physical, sexual, intimate relationship with one person. Your mate. And that person is described as a well, as a deer, as someone who will cause you to flourish. Verse 18 says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Don't leave her. Don't leave him. When he gets old, wrinkled, and loses his hair. <laughs> Be intoxicated always in her love. Intoxicated is the right word. It's actually the word intoxicated. The, uh, the Catholic Bible translates it inebriated. <laughs> King James uses the word ravished. Be intoxicated in her love. The point is that God clearly wants us to enjoy sex. And he knows that we will only enjoy it one way. And he wants us to find that way. The problem is that the sensual choice trades the important for the attractive. What's the matter with the person in verse 20? Well, he's intoxicated with a foreign woman. He embraces the bosom of an adulteress. He's living for sex, thinking that sex will bring him love. The guy is probably married, as far as I can tell, but he doesn't understand and appreciate what God has given him. He could be intoxicated with his wife's love if he understood, if he was thankful. But this emotionally challenged individual thinks that the grass is always greener over somebody else's septic tank. As Irma Bombach used to say. Verses 15 to 19 describe a marriage relationship as God has designed it. To be fulfilling, intoxicating, one man, one woman, for life. They become one flesh. They become a team. That's God's purpose. God's design. But this guy's always been in the hunt for somebody else. 
He's never gotten beyond the physical, the visual, the sensual. Never realized that the real treasures are on the inside. It's like the Pharisees that Pastor Van was talking about a couple weeks ago. Always on the outside. Case in point. Tiger Woods. Remember Tiger? Best golfer in the world six years ago. He is now rated, I think, 524th. <clears throat> At one time, he was making $40 million a year just in advertising sponsorships. He didn't have to win a golf tournament anywhere, and he had $40 million a year. So here's a guy who has all the money in the world, can do anything he wants to do, can buy anything, can go anywhere, he can do whatever. He must be out of sight happy. Amen? But no, he has gone to rehab. Rehab? For what? A guy with his money and ability and influence going to rehab? Why? Because his sexual desires apparently have become out of control, have ruined his marriage, his relationships, apparently have even affected his golf game. According to what I read, he has had documented affairs with at least 14 women, including Playboy models and porn stars, and he has lived the kind of life that certain guys dream about. He should be supremely happy. But no, he apparently went and spent time down at Pine Grove Behavioral Health and Addiction Services in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He enrolled in a program to be treated for sex addiction. He's become a prisoner. He's locked into the demons of sexual lust, and he can't get away from them. He's found verse 22 to be absolutely true. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. What's an addict? An addict is a person whose behavior has made his life unmanageable. He becomes bound in the cords of his sin. Tiger could have listened to Solomon, but he's fallen off the cliff. And now, having been divorced from his beautiful wife for six years, they've been divorced now for six years. He hasn't found what he's looking for, and he wants to go back to his wife. Why? He could go back to any number of women. Why his wife? Because he hasn't found what he's looking for. He hasn't found love. Neither will you. Neither will I. Unless you look for it God's way. You can have everything in the world and not find it what God gives. The truth of the matter is that sex cannot lead to love. Walter Trobish wrote a book entitled I Married You. He makes this statement in the book, love does not grow out of sex. Love must grow into sex. 
True, within marriage, under the shelter of the tent, sex gives strength to love. But outside the tent, sex is not practiced for love's sake, but for purely egoistic reasons. Do you see the statement, purely egoistic reasons? Purely egoistic reasons. Here's the problem. The problem is that love and sex go opposite directions. Sex is selfish. Sex focuses on me. Sex wants to fulfill my desires. Love is sacrificial. Wants to focus on somebody else. Wants to meet their needs and help them and make them better. How do you get these things together? They're going in opposite directions. You can only get them together in one way. In a marriage bond. When God shows people how to get them together. And he's the one who can turn the selfishness of sex into the sacrifice of love. But what happens when you get into a marriage relationship backwards and you start with sex? It's very hard. Very hard to get over the hump of living for yourself and the whole relationship revolving around yourself. If you're in that kind of relationship, one that began with sex and you understand what I'm saying only too clearly, there's still hope. God can rescue you, but you have got to get serious about doing things His way. There's an old Greek proverb that says, all things good to know are difficult to learn. That is so true when you got into a marriage backwards. So here's Proverbs 5. Do you have guardrails in your life? Do you control your sexual desires? Do you play with pornography? Do you play or dream illicit relationships? Do you have a secret relationship going on? I would imagine in a congregation this size, there probably might be a secret relationship going on. Do you realize that your future is described in verses 11 and 22 of this passage? And you're not going to like it when you get there. There is a solution. As, Pro, as Solomon says, there is a solution. But it's God's solution. You only find it when you repent. You only find it when you turn to him. You only find it when you pursue him and ask him and listen to him and obey him. God can rebuild what you've ruined, what your desires have ruined when you come to him. So remember, it's the easier choice that sets us on the road to death. It's the mindless choice that leads to end of life groaning. It's the sensual choice that keeps us 
from finding love. May your walls protect you from these kinds of things, and may you experience the blessing in life that God has designed for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the clarity of your word and the realization that you, years ago, wrote this for our learning. May we learn. May we be protected. I pray that you would, by the Spirit of God, work in each one of our hearts to enable us to repent, to enable us to rebuild, to enable us to strengthen those broken walls. I pray that out of this, your name might be honored and glorified at this church. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.